Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Plot Lines. I'm your host, Connor. And before we get to our episode today, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. Please join our Discord. And for today's episode, I have Dr. Levi Russell, Professor of Economics at the University of Kansas and Chairman of the Leonine Institute for Catholic Social Teaching. Welcome, Dr. Russell. Thank you. I appreciate uh, you inviting me on. Yeah, no problem. I, I, so I saw that. So I saw a tweet by you guys, and someone had uh, added me uh, in response mm -hmm. to uh, you know, sort of you want to uh, you wanted to get onto different podcasts. And I saw this, and I was like, oh, it looks interesting. So uh, your yeah. program that you're uh, focused on it right now is the Jubilee Debt Relief Program. So yes. will you mind telling us first what the Leonine Institute is focused on and what that program is? Yeah, so uh, we kind of have a dual mission at the Institute. Uh, we're, we're kind of just getting started. We've sort of been doing things for a couple of years, but uh, very recently we've, um, within the last year, we've kind of got all the paperwork going and started the, the 501c3 paperwork process and all of that. Um, so, uh, so far, the Institute has been primarily uh, focused on education and um, specifically about Catholic social teaching and, um, you know, trying to uh, uh, tackle some of the, the, you know, sort of fundamental concepts of Catholic social teaching, like subsidiarity and solidarity. Um, we have a, a magazine. Those were, those were the uh, topics for our first two issues. And uh, since then, we've kind of tried to talk a little bit more in, in the magazine about uh, policy type issues or um, social issues that, uh, you know, people face and, and that we're facing in the culture war and all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I, I suppose if someone were to say that, you know, we had a, a point of view politically or whatever, I would say it's probably to the right um, uh, uh, and, and we, <laughs> I guess we somewhat subversively have titled the magazine uh, Social Justice Quarterly, right? So sort of <laughs> trying to take back that phrase, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, don't get the wrong idea if you look on our website. So. Um, but here in the last few months, we have been working a lot harder on um, the kind of what I would say is sort of the Catholic action side of the organization. And so uh, in conjunction with the educational part, and, and you know, we're going to be uh, uh, we're going to be restarting the magazine for the end of this year, I, I hope. Um, but uh, we, you know, one of the things that in, in my head was like, you know, well, uh, you may have heard this phrase before. Uh, you know, they don't they don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? And uh, an idea to. Uh, you know, sort of create this clearinghouse where we would take uh, donations from Catholics that are doing well financially, and we would help uh, other Catholics to, uh, uh, you know, eventually sort of pay off some of their debt, a good chunk of their debt, uh, you know, personal debt, which would be, you know, credit cards or personal loans, um, you know, really high interest stuff. Um, but also in that process, do an educational thing with them and, and talk, talk with them about, uh, you know, sort of healthy budgeting, you know, how did I get to this point? How did I get to this point where, you know, I'm in, you know, in a lot of credit card debt or whatever. And, and of course, you know, it's very hard to dig out of that stuff. Um, and, you know, with an eye to uh, helping, you know, maybe it's a young Catholic gent who's, you know, going to try to start a family and everything. And they're just finding it hard because they've got these, you know, sort of financial 
challenges that they put themselves into at one point or another in the past. And, um, or if it's maybe a family in a parish that, you know, they, they want to, uh, you know, they want to be a bigger, uh, part of their parish. So anyway, those are the two kind of facets of the organization. It's education and, and direct action. Um, and so that's what the Institute's all about. We have a, um, I, I was really happy with a paper that we wrote on usury. Uh, so if you're, uh, if you're, uh, folks are interested in that, check that out in our policy paper section. So anyway, uh, th- I guess that's maybe more than you wanted, but no, uh, yeah, I, there you go. I can uh, link, well, I'll link the Institute below as well as I can link, uh, some of the articles uh, that you, that you point out throughout the, throughout the interview. Um, so I was just wondering, you know, there's a lot of focus sort of on um, sort of uh, student debt these days. And I was right. wondering if sort of that has anything to do with the Institute. Yeah. So, you know, I, I can really understand that student debt is a big challenge for a lot of people. Um, and in the conversations that I have had with the folks that helped us get started and uh, the board, you know, the board members that we have right now, um, you know, we have really wanted to focus on debt that was really high interest and really difficult to get out of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most student debt, unless it's like a private loan of some type, um, is relatively low on the interest rate side of things. So I'm not saying it isn't onerous and difficult and challenging, mm-hmm. um, but, <clears throat> you know, mainly because of the, the just the, the total amount of the debt itself. Um, but, you know, that, you know, we're sort of, um, I, I think there's, it's more likely we're going to get some kind of government policy relief for that, I think, than, um, than it would be on the credit card side. And um, so, you know, not to say that that's not a big part of it, but kind of the, the floor for us in terms of debt that we will pay off is about 10% in terms of interest rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that kind of puts us in the sort of personal debt or um, credit card debt realm once you you get to that level. Um, and I know that, you know, for instance, uh, I believe it's the Labore Institute uh, who pays off debt for folks that are, you know, whether it's uh, Catholic men that are going into the priesthood or into a monastery, or if it's uh, Catholic women who are going into um, a convent or something like that, um, you know, they pay off student debt. I know that. Uh, and that's, part of you know we're sort of trying to model ourselves after them to some extent okay Uh, so yeah i was just curious that that's all very uh very good information um so what does the process usually look like more yeah so we have um if you go to leoinstitute.org slash jubilee you can find um kind of a general discussion of the program and of course, we ask folks to, uh, you know, please pray for us, you know, add us to your mass intentions, your rosary intentions and all of that. Um, you know, that type of support is very important, too. Um, and so there's a kind of a general overview. And then uh, underneath that is a, a, a short description of the application process and a link to a form that we have on our website. So people will fill, fill out some very basic information on that form and then um myself or in the future, uh, if we end up hiring a, a director for the program, which is one of our goals, um, we'll contact that person and, uh, you know, start the, the, the next process, which is 
you know, we want to, we want to know who their priest is. We want to make sure that they're, um, you know, someone who's involved with the parish, someone who, someone who attends mass regularly and all that sort of thing. So we want to, that's kind of our big vetting step as we go talk to, um, their priest, you know, via phone or whatever. Um, and, you know, we try to get some basic information about their financial situation in general, you know, so what does your family budget look like? What kind of income do you have coming into your house? What are your basic, you know, the basic bills you have? And, um, you know, obviously, what are the, the balances and the total payments that you have on those, um, those credit items that you want us to help you with? Um, <clears throat> so that's the process for uh, applying. Um, further down on the page is a, a sort of a little letter to potential contributors to the program. And there's a big donate button on the right side, obviously. Um, but uh, we kind of explain some of the other things about it. And, and one of the things that I think people want to know is, um, you know, do we encourage people who would make it through our program? Do we encourage them to, you know, come back and help us, right? Sort of pay it forward kind of thing. Um, and we definitely do. Um, we, we can't require them to do that because that would make us a financial intermediary. And, you know, we would run afoul of the, uh, the nonprofit mission and all that. Um, but we do also say that, you know, this is a kind of a one shot deal, right. Where it's, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, someone, you know, a family or a couple or an individual or whatever, you know, reaches out to us and asks for help. We help them out. We, we hopefully get them on the right track. We help, we hopefully teach them how to budget. Um, but in that processing, we pay off that big uh, chunk of debt and, you know, we consider ourselves to have done what we can, right? Um, obviously, they can always come back to us to talk about, um, you know, budgeting and how to budget and how to deal with situations. You know, we're always going to be helpful, um, as helpful as we can on that stuff. Um, but uh, as far as, you know, uh, you know, just continuously, you know, writing big checks, uh, you know, we can't, we can't, uh, you know, we feel like that's, you know, would not be in good faith on our part. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah. So donations is the main way you uh, you provide this money. Is that or you get the money to. Provide yeah. It. So. Right. So we are in the process of filing as a as what's called a public charity. Right. And so what that means is that we have to get the bulk of our donations from people who contribute small amounts. Right. So it's not just, you know, because otherwise it would be, and this is all like technical stuff that I don't even really understand that well, but, you know, we're not a foundation. It's not like, you know, there's four rich families that dump money into, you know, this one big organization, right. It's, um, okay. you know, the idea is that we get <clears throat> lots of small donations from lots of people. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, is there any sort of negatives to being a uh, public, uh, public charity, just given, I don't know, the, the liberal laws of today? Yeah, so, you know, this is something that we have thought a lot about in terms of, um, you know, how to organize and, and what, um, I, I guess, are you kind of referring to like uh, the whole, um, the whole idea where like the IRS was coming after conservative groups and trying to, you know, knock down there. Is that, is that what you're referring to or not necessarily? I just don't know if there's a lot of like uh, regulations that the government has that uh, would impede any Catholic social teaching versus, you know uh, you know, making 
I don't know. There's there's plenty of stuff. You know, I know adoption agencies, that type of thing, have have different problems. I, you know, it's not. This isn't really in that area, but it. I just was wondering if there was anything you guys were dealing with that you know people should be aware of. Yeah. So one of the questions we had early on, and you know, one of the challenges we've had to deal with was, um, you know, can we be a Catholics for Catholics organization? Right? Can we restrict (laughs) those those payouts to Catholics? and, uh, you know, after digging through the information and, you know, speaking with a lawyer and all that stuff, we, we kind of figured that out. And, you know, as, as I said before about the Laboree Institute, uh, you know, they do the same sort of thing, right? The whole deal is, uh, you know, they're giving money to Catholics, you know, so um, there is, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a way to carve that out. So, yeah. Also, your, uh, the symbol for your institute is really interesting. Uh, will you uh, explain a little bit of that? Yeah, so so we got a really great artist, um, and I've there's a link to his stuff on our, our at the bottom of our website, um, or a, a link to him somehow. Um, I'm not, I haven't, I haven't looked at it recently, but, um, but yeah, he uh, he did a great job, and you can see it's behind me here. But yeah, um, yeah. So you know when we uh, when we started talking with him, you know he um, we we wanted to. Um, you know, get across that this, this had some kind of an economic or financial sort of thing. Right. And, and of course, Pope Leo the 13th, right. Writing uh, Rerum Novarum and sort of creating, you know, the beginning of sort of, uh, you know, modern social teaching, right. In, in response to the big, um, you know, the industrial revolution and all these sort of, you know, things that are hitting us in the modern liberal world. Right. Um, and so we have this idea of, uh, of the lion, you know, triumphant, with uh, this, you know, with his tail and everything like this. Um, And he's sitting above sort of in, you know, in victory above a bull and a bear, right? Okay. And if you're, if you're into the the financial world very much, uh, you know, you get this idea of like, you know, they talk about bull, a bull market being, you know, the market's going up and a bear market, the market's coming down, right? Uh, And so, uh, he used that imagery uh, on our full, I don't think it's on our round one like this, but it's on the, uh, the, the tall version of it. And, you know, he's using kind of elements of heraldry, like this, uh, you know, uh, tri-hooked, um, uh, you know, three-piece hook or whatever you would call it, you know, and so sort of bringing in some, some uh, uh, you know, Trinitarian imagery to it. And uh, yeah, so we, I, I was just absolutely floored with how beautiful that was. And then we had another guy who did, um, you know, I get business cards and, and did a lot of the production stuff for us, did the website. Um, and then we have a couple other people who have done the magazine covers. So, yeah, it's yeah. really cool. Yeah, thanks. Uh, how did you get involved in this? Were you sort of, I mean, I know you're the chairman. Are, is this your yeah. brainchild or, or where did this come from? Yeah, so the Institute in general is, um, is something that, you know, I was, you know, of course, you're always talking with friends and, and uh, you know, people who are kind of like-minded and um, help you, uh, you know, get this idea in your head about, you know, what's going on and what needs to be done and what, what you can do given what you know and, and, um, and uh, you know, just the things you're interested in. And, you know, for me, um, being a professor, being an economist, I was always, um, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking in the academic world and, um, and, and in what type of, you know, academic things are going on. And, you know, originally when I was looking into this, I know, um, the Lyceum, uh, that, um, 
oh man, his name's going to skip me now, but um, I can't remember his last name, but Brian um, with the, the Lyceum, uh, I think it's the Lyceum Institute. You know, he's uh, he's a philosopher and he's, you know, he's trying to do this thing on the fly where, you know, hey, let's let's get outside of, you know, the, the official academic world and let's just teach people, you know, how to think about philosophy and, uh, you know, not explicitly from a Catholic perspective, but um, from a domestic perspective, right? And um, so that was getting started at the same time. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm always kind of interested in economics, economic policy and economics in general. And, um, and you know, it's like, well, we don't, we don't have a think tank. We don't have a, a clearinghouse for this type of thing. Um, and so uh, I just thought, well, okay, well, maybe we just need to start one, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, some different people have, uh, you know, helped us out uh, and helped us build and, and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, right now it's a pretty small organization. It's basically me and the rest of the board. Um, and then a couple other people that are, you know, writing for us and, and, uh, and all that. And I'm hoping to build, build that writing component up more. So if you have listeners that are, um, you know, maybe they're not in a position financially where they can help us out, or they, maybe they don't know anybody who's in trouble financially and can't help us find, uh, you know, new, uh, folks to help. Um, maybe they're interested in writing about stuff and, and, um, you know, maybe, you know, keep, keep their eye on our social media accounts or, um, on the website and, and, you know, here pretty soon, I'm hoping within the next couple of weeks, we'll have, a um, uh, we'll have a new call for, uh, for articles for, for the magazine again. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so would you say as a economics professor, would you say you come from any specific school of economics? So, sorry. So, um, you know, I guess for me, my, um, my journey is, has been a little weird. So initially when I decided to go to graduate school, this was gosh, 2008, 2009. And so, uh, you know, I'm, you know, in college, I'm an undergrad and the whole Ron Paul thing is hitting the whole world, you know, and, <laughs> and I'm sure you're way too young to, to have remembered that, but I was uh, politically aware at the time. Okay. Okay. But maybe a little younger than I was. I I'm sure we're not exactly. Oh, the same yeah. age, But yeah. Right. So anyway, so, you know, I'm gosh, 21, something like that. Thinking about the old Ron Paul thing, getting into this whole libertarian, uh, you know, world. And of course, interested in economics as a, you know, I was a finance student at the time. And then of course, you know, the big, uh, the big crash and, you know, not a whole lot of, you know, really attractive finance jobs out there and all that stuff. So, um, I end up going to graduate school um, and getting a job at a university. And, um, you know, so I've been at a couple of different universities now. And now I'm back in my home state and, and all of that. So that's great. But, um, you know, so I was really, I did, a, I did a lot of writing for, you know, libertarian style organizations. I published articles that were, uh, you know, very much has sort of a libertarian and maybe Austrian economics type bent, right? So maybe for Austrian economics, um, I, I went to the Mises Institute one time and, uh, you know, went to one of their conferences and definitely, and, and I think I've written at least one or two articles kind of from an Austrian economics uh, standpoint, you know, in, in terms of like professional economics writing. Um, so, you know, I definitely was thinking that way for quite a while for a good chunk of my career. And then, um, you know, so I, I got my first professor job in 2013. And so, uh, but then I think 2017, 2018, I started to really kind of rethink everything. And, you know, I, 
I was a convert to the faith in Easter of 2007. Word from our affiliate, Bishop Sheen Rosaries. You've probably worn through the chain of your cheap plastic rosary. Other rosaries simply can't stand up to the wear and tear of everyday life. Bishop Sheen rosaries are made of solid metal beads and paracord to withstand any condition and are backed with a lifetime warranty. Upgrade your rosary to a Bishop Sheen rosary made to fit your lifestyle or buy one for a friend. Each rosary sold supplies two weeks of food for a school kid in Uganda. You use the exclusive link down below to help support our efforts here at Plotlines. The link will take you to sheenrosaries.com. Be sure to use the code PLOTLINES10. Um, when I was, I guess I would have been 20 years old at the time. What'd you convert and, from? Yeah, so I mean, I was just kind of like generic evangelical <laughs> Protestant. I don't really, you know, like, okay. I think at the time I was going to like a Baptist church or something, but, you know. Uh, I didn't really see a lot of daylight between, you know, the different places I went as a kid. Um, but <clears throat> anyway, so I, I kind of got to this point where it was like, look, you know, you can either be, um, you can either be a good Catholic or you can be a libertarian. You can either, you know, kind of take the teachings of the church and sort of try to cram them into a libertarian political philosophy or you can build your political philosophy around the church, right? And so, I mean, this is the conversation I'm having for myself at the time, you know? Um, and so for me, that was a big moment of like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get my priorities straight. I gotta, um, you know, I gotta start thinking about this stuff in the right way. And, um, you know, reading the social encyclicals and, and really trying to understand them, um, you know, trying to put, you know, what I know about economics in the right framing, right? Because you have, um, you know, you'll always say, well, you know, you always hear economists say, oh, well, supply and demand, the laws of supply and demand make it so that you can't do X, Y, Z, right? You can't, uh, you can't have a just wage because, you know, supply and demand, you know, um, and this is, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily hear this from, I think, professional economists, but you would hear it from definitely, you know, people that are on the internet who, uh you know, who study economics, um, on the internet. So, um, and I just, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's a sort of a, a liberal in, in the generic sense of that term, a, a liberal framework that, um, I think people don't realize they're, they're operating within, right. Um, I think you could very easily, um, you know, understand economics as a way of thinking about how, uh, you know, commerce and markets work and fitting that within a, um, you know, what would be an authentic Christian society, right? Where, um, you know, a just wage is not just uh, the, the marginal value product of labor, which it is in a sort of, uh, I guess you would call it scientific sense, um, but fitting that within the framework of, okay, yes, but you know, a wage is for a family, a wage is to provide for a family. And so, yes, we can, we can talk about how to sort of the mechanics operate in a specific sense, but we can also put limits on those mechanics, <clears throat> um, you know, to, to uh, ensure justice, right? I mean, um, we're all appalled when we hear people argue, uh, you know, for instance, there was a guy back in the day who was always talking about how, um, you know, essentially Roe v. Wade 
reduced crime, right? Because all, all of these babies were aborted instead of becoming criminals, you know, and it's kind of a sick sort of utilitarian argument. Um, and, and you have people uh, arguing against that, of course, just on, on the grounds that, you know, you know, with the data, but at the same time, you'd also say, well, you know, that doesn't justify killing people, <laughs> right? That doesn't justify <laughs> yeah. killing babies. Come on. You know, anybody, you, you know, potential criminals, it does, you know, uh, that doesn't justify killing them. Right. Right. So you can kind of see the, um, you know, you, if you, you build your worldview around, you know, mechanistic economics and then, you know, you get into some really weird, <laughs> really, you argue yourself into some really, you know, disturbing moral positions. So, yeah, I think we, uh, even though we're, uh, year, you know, years apart from each other, I think we went uh, through some similar, uh, um, sort of similar trend, I guess. Uh, yeah. I was not, okay. you know, I'm not really in economics necessarily. I don't know very much about economics, but politically, I was, I sort of started off as a libertarian. I had sort of gone into that sort of uh, probably in like 2012 to 2000, right. uh, like 16, probably. Uh, right. I, and, you know, uh, Tom Woods was a big influence oh, yeah. in that i didn't really watch any of his economic or listen to any of his economic stuff necessarily but his you know his politics were very interesting to me it was there was just a general uh interest i had a very i had a great interest in sort of what i would have considered the sort of pro-life libertarians kind of mm, you know right. I, I you know uh, i wasn't trying to uh, divorce myself from the beliefs of the church or anything but right. then again i didn't know fully the beliefs the um the ph philosophy of the church regarding right. economics or about sort of um or even regarding the death penalty or you know other other things that could would be contentious with libertarians in many different things and then i slowly uh shifted away from that as i sort of deepened my roots and, and and now you have a an image of blessed carl behind you there on the wall so yeah that yeah that look be, look what you've done <laughs> yes <laughs> i've uh, somehow become a monarchist uh, yeah, in, yeah. after after uh starting out as a libertarian yeah i saw and, you have a lot of episodes talking with uh charles coulomb so that's, yeah yeah that's very charles, interesting yeah he's a friend of the show uh yeah. But yeah, yeah blessed charles is kind of it is definitely a symbol of another option that is never given right. uh, on the economic side too. Yeah, um, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that we sort of came through similar, probably around the similar times though, too. I was just yeah. younger going right. through it. Uh, yeah. And it were, seems like it. And you were yeah. going through it as an, you know, as someone who's a little older than me. So yeah, that's such an interesting uh, thing. What, um, what do you think is the hardest to get across a um, catholic social teaching to modern man yeah so i think i think it's tough for for different people it depends kind of who your audience is and um i think for some people if you're if you're talking to someone who kind of considers themselves to be uh you know uh like a just general right wing you know kind of uh right liberal is that maybe a word for it or conservative, right? 
if you talk to them, the challenge, An American I think, conservative. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I think the challenge is um, kind of getting over this hump about socialism, right? You've got to convince them that, um, you know, just because the government does something doesn't make it socialist, right? It's like, you know, well, socialism is when the government does something and the more the government does something, the more socialism it is, you know? Um, <clears throat> and so I think, uh, you know, there, there's also this libertarian streak in a lot of those people um, that, that um, you know, we can't subsidize anything. We can't tax anything because, you know, that, uh, or, or, you know, to the extent that we tax things, it has to be, you know, we have to show that it's neutral and it doesn't incentivize anything one way or the other. Um, and I think maybe from a, a more academic perspective, the, the idea is that you, you have to convince them that, well, there's always something being subsidized in one way or another. There's always something that is, you know, there is no such thing as neutral policy, right? Um, anytime you have it, even the lack of policy on something is still, um, you know, an inducement in some way, right? If something is legal, well, that gives it a sort of um, a veneer of legitimacy, right? In, in the world, we think, well, you know, because something's illegal, we just automatically as people, we just automatically think, okay, well, you know, I probably just shouldn't do that in general, right? And so it's, it's very much the case that, you know, whatever is allowed by law is, uh, you know, given some kind of, you know, of a subsidy in a way, and anything that's illegal is being, uh, you know, taxed, it's being disincentivized. So, um, you know, I think convincing them of that and, and getting them in that frame of mind a little bit is, um, is one way to kind of get over that hump. And once you're over that, I think you, you start to say, okay, well, what are your values? What's important to you? And, you know, most of these people, if you talk to them, they're going to talk about things like family. They're going to talk about, you know, authentic community in a way that I think people on the left don't, there is no such thing as authentic community for them, right? Because for them, everything is a sort of, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's all in service to the, you know, the class revolution or whatever, right? Uh, they're, they're all Marxists still in their own head, you know, and, but mm -hmm. now it's, instead of a Marxism of, um, you know, economic class or whatever, it's a Marxism of, you know, sort of victim progressive stack notion, right? Which, have, which has an oddly individualistic uh, sort of string to it, which is weird to me. Yes, it's weird it when we start talking community with conservatives and we talk individuality with, uh, with progressives or liberals yeah. or left-wing anything. It's an interesting yeah, because they're all about this like self-actualization, which like you said, is very individualistic, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you know, well, you know, what is, what are my pronouns or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it is very individualistic. And I agree with you there. It's, it's sort of a, man, that's a hard one to get across to people. My goodness. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, but I think with conservatives, they can start to see that, you know, this isn't like, you know, George W. Bush, compassionate conservatism or whatever. This is like, we're implementing the teaching of the church and that's what's important. You know, and so if there's something we can do um, to, uh, you know, use principles like subsidiarity and solidarity to craft policy that um, that genuinely helps people, and yes, there might be a cost to it. You know, I'm I'm happy to say that, you know, I mean, it's it's sort of funny the time we live in right now, where, you know, we're looking at this entire year. I think we're going to have negative GDP growth. You know, we're going to have 
you know, a recessionary environment the entire year. And, um, you know, uh, as I said on another interview I had recently, you know, I'm happy to, I'm happy to have negative GDP growth for the right reasons, you know, um, now, you know, sort of green industry suicide is not one of those, <laughs> you know, uh, just like, you know, just shutting down the entire planet in terms of, uh, you know, keeping people warm in the winter is not really what I had in mind. But, yeah. um, but I think there are reasons to say that, okay, well, you know, XYZ policy might have, uh, you know, might disincentivize things that, you know, from a liberal framework, we might have liked, or, you know, that might reduce, you um, uh, you know, GDP growth or what, you know, pick a metric, right? Well, so what, <laughs> you know, if it's, um, if it's a good thing, it's a good thing. And, um, you know, we need to uh, understand that there are going to be trade-offs, right? And I think that's where the economic science comes in or what, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah. um, it's but, more but important it's still good to do it. It's more important to save everyone's soul than it is to line your pockets. There you go. Exactly. And I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how many um, left-wing people we would have in our audience so far at this point, you know, as far <laughs> as looking at our magazine, but yeah. I think there, um, man, you have a lot of challenges and, um, you know, we're all people who have been brought up a certain way. You know, we've, we've grown up in the households we've grown up in and, you know, I'm, I'm very much more comfortable talking to people that would identify as, you know, American conservative or, uh, you know, right or whatever. But um, on the left, I, I just, I just think there's just a genuine challenge of, you know, okay, well, just because it sounds like, you know, just because it sort of seems to rhyme with Catholic social teaching doesn't mean it's any good. You know, and you have to look at where this stuff is coming from. And a lot of it is, you know, atheistic, materialistic, Marxist, etc. Right. Um, you know, just because it sounds nice doesn't mean it's actually good. <laughs> so uh, some I've heard people say it, uh, nice is a heresy. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, it could be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well, nice. I mean, in its origin of the word actually means ignorant. Mm. Uh, right. But, uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, nobody. We were told to love our enemies and pray for them. Not that, not that there are no enemies, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, are you familiar with the Catholic Worker? I am. Yes, I am okay. uh, familiar with the history of that organization and um, and all that. Yeah. Could you explain, sort of, even to me? I don't really know. I don't really fully understand how to view the Catholic Worker and that sort of. Uh, area of Catholic history regarding sort of were they pushing Catholic social teaching as it's meant to be pushed or were yeah. they sort of falling into uh, sort of the wrong company I guess so to speak yeah so I'm not I definitely wouldn't say I'm an expert on that particular group and that movement um, hmm. um yeah, I, I don't know if I could if I could really say a lot about you know whether what they were doing was you know necessarily the right way. I you know I think there's a challenge in looking back on things like this and and um, you know there's definitely a, a sense of you know people have to, you know people are are operating in a certain period of time and they're trying to meet people where they are 
right? So um, very much in a non-academic way and, and being very practical, you have to tailor your arguments to certain people. So maybe I'll, I'll answer your question sort of by analogy with kind of my position on Chesterton and Belloc, right? People talk about them as well in this whole distributism movement and that sort of thing. And <clears throat> my perspective is that, um, you know, if we're talking about economic systems or we're talking about, uh, you know, theoretically, what's the best way to go and that sort of thing, a lot of people will talk about uh, distributism as, you know, something to look to, right? So we, we read Chesterton or we read Belloc and, um, you know, we get this very much, uh, you know, smallholder agriculture perspective and that sort of thing, right? Um, and um, it's possible that that's a, a practical, there's, there's practical value in a lot of that. Um, but I think that what we have to understand is they are, they were talking to a certain group of people at a specific time period. Um, you know, they were talking to people at a time when, um, you know, <laughs> a very large percentage of the planet of the Western world was operating in smallholder agriculture, right? They were working on farms. They, you know, of course, there was this whole idea of the, the you know, industrial side of things. People were moving into, uh, you know, what are basically sweatshops, you know, from, from, a, uh, from today's perspective. But um, you know, so it made a lot of sense then. And, and some of the principles were really smart, you know, talking about property and the importance of property, the importance of, um, you know, a, a, a maybe a labor wage and capital income, right? And those two things together, and that being sort of a, a diversification strategy to, to try to make sure that communities are secure and that, that families are secure financially. Um, so I think there's a lot of good principles in there, but when you start diving into a lot of the specifics, you start to get, um, you start to get, I think, you maybe take it a little too far. I know people have said, oh, well, you know, Belloc was a communist because he said this and that. And it's like, look, he's trying to talk to, you know, the people who, you know, committed the October Revolution, right? Uh, he's trying to talk to those people. And so you have to use a certain type of words when you're in those conversations that maybe today don't you know, maybe they seem a little weird. Okay. Why is this guy talking? You know, he sounds like a commie. Well, he's talking to communists. So, you know, you got to meet people where they're at. Um, and I think potentially that would be the case with the Catholic worker and um, Dorothy Day, right? Peter Moran, um, that it's potentially the case that you have some of that going on. You're talking to a certain group of people. Um, and so, uh, you know, maybe that's a way to be, I guess, charitable about it and with the risk of being overly charitable so yeah yeah so would you would you um was there a name that would describe sort of your economic view yeah so um heinrich pesch i think was economist who you know he's a trained economist but he also um he was a priest. And so he understood, um, you know, a way, and he was writing at the time of, um, you know, a lot of the social encyclicals being written and um, <clears throat> a lot of the ones that we really, you know, put a lot of weight on. And so he has a lot of good writing that I think synthesizes um, kind of our understanding of economics as Catholics. Um, and so reading his book, um, oh, 
oh my goodness, I'm going to forget his, the title of the book. But, um, you know, reading his book <clears throat> um, and uh, 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 the book that he has in print still, let me see if I can pull it up. But uh, so he, he definitely uh, kind of created um, a following. And, and so you have other economists that sort of worked in his vein. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, Dempsey was one economist who, uh, let's see, yeah, Bernard Dempsey was a, was a professional economist kind of later. And so, you know, into the sixties and stuff like that, when, you know, you have this full sort of, uh, oh, there it is ethics and the national economy. That is, um, uh, father Pesha's book that I, I really recommend people read and you can get a copy of it, um, uh, from a, don't buy it on Amazon because it's like crazy expensive, but there's a publisher that publishes the book um, that you can get it for a real reasonable price from their website. Um, and then, uh, so you have, you know, Dempsey's operating this world of, you know, the, the economics profession has really turned into, you know, writing journal articles. And it's very much the way it is now where, you know, it's all journal articles and it's all jargony um, and, and it's all kind of, you know, in it's very little narrow world. Um, and then you get uh, Rupert Ederer, um, who wrote even more recently. And I know, like, for instance, um, Ederer, he passed very recently, but he, uh, <laughs> he wrote a book review of one of Tom, Tom Woods's books um, for, um, for Culture Wars, uh, uh, EMJ stuff. Um, and so there's a, there's a, it's a really long review, but you can read his book review of Tom Woods stuff. I think it was like 2015 or something like that. Um, so, but it's really funny because, uh, you know, editor does a great job of, again, applying, you know, um, kind of modern economic methods and perspectives, uh, with an eye towards the Catholic, you know, or, or sort of operating within the framework of, uh, you know, what I would say is, you know, sort of authentic social teaching of the church. Um, and so what audience is that for? Mm, I don't know. You know, it, it's, it's probably a little more technical than, you know, your average person that's, that, um, you know, would want to jump into, but I do have a, uh, I have a, a big archive of a whole bunch of journal articles. So if you have listeners that are kind of, you know, they're interested in economics and they, they, you know, they keep up with it and stuff like that. And they kind of, you know, have learned kind of autodidactically or they have a, a bachelor's degree or something like that. If they're interested in reading a bunch of this stuff, I have a, a big archive of, of some books and articles that they can, uh, they can look at and they can just hit me up uh, for a link you know, to that. You can send me a, you can send me the link and I can. Great. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, I read some of Dempsey's stuff and I, you know, I didn't necessarily agree with all of it. Um, you know, when he gets to certain things like, uh, you know, just wage and, and usury and stuff like that. But, you know, I, again, uh, you know, obviously I could be very wrong. And so he might be totally right. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yeah, I, I think, Ethics and the National Economy is certainly a book that someone could pick up, read and understand and not have to necessarily be, you know, uh, trained in economics and really get, I think, a good feeling for uh, sort of a modern perspective on, um, you know, and getting sort of away from the specifics that Chesterton and Belloc were sort of driving into, um, you know, something a little more general. So, yeah. So uh, it seems to me that the biggest hurdle is actually getting like politicians to embrace or to even run on uh, Catholic social teaching far further than just, you know, being pro-life and 
uh, being against uh, same-sex marriage and stuff like that. Mm. Like further, you know, further beyond that into an economics uh, sort of um, economic policy. How do you see a way of moving towards uh, getting politicians to move that way? Yeah, so I think um, I think we're at a time now when you're going to start to see more and more people um, that are coming into politics um, that you know maybe at the state level or at the national level that understand um, you know what uh, what um, well what we might call sort of the real right, you know, if we're, if we're really going to be focused on family and community, we're putting those things first. Okay. Well, what does that, what does that policy look like? What does a policy look like that uh, takes care of that? And there was a, it reminds me, there was a candidate in Mississippi who, you know, and, and this is a, <clears throat> you know, it's there, he's vying for the Republican nomination, right. And he gets smeared as a socialist because he's interested in, um, uh, you know, he's interested in the uh, 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 the idea of, you know, uh, uh, payments to families, payments to, you know, people that have children, you know, and, and some of these things like maybe you've seen in like Hungary or something like that, right, where they're, where they're kind of giving financial incentives for people who get married and then, you know, they're helping them get a house, they're helping them, you know, they're paying them to have kids and blah, 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 you know, and those countries are farther along than we are in terms of this, like, demographic winter right um and that's and there's they're just doing it just practical you know the country's going to fall apart you know if they don't uh you know if they don't sort of arrest the decline in their population of course we have a lot of immigration here so but that's maybe another topic um but i think i think the challenge really is just um i guess identifying the problems the genuine problems with some of the policies that the left, that you would really call socialist, you would really call left wing, um, the, the problems that those have and the alternatives to uh, those policies. So for instance, one of the things I'm working on right now, and I wrote a short version of this in our, in our, our latest magazine article or our latest magazine issue. And I was talking about, um, you know, how, how do we get to a just wage, right? So that, that's, to me, one of the biggest things that you can if you can, if you can get that right, a lot of other things fall into a place. And so you have all these different proposals out there. Um, you have, you know, for instance, minimum wage um, and uh, policies like that. And I think there's a lot to be done. Uh, and I try to, you know, sort of briefly go through that in that magazine article of why I think that's the wrong solution to a serious problem, right? So we have a problem. We have unjust wages. They're too low uh, for a lot of people. Um, Certainly not for everybody. For a lot of people, they're way too high. (laughs) But, um, you know, so how do we get to that? How do we, how do we actually, how can we use the tools of economics and the understanding that we can get from economics to push that stuff in the right direction? And, um, you know, I explain in there why I think, you know, higher minimum wage is a mistake. That is a bad idea coming from the left. And, uh, you know, a candidate that was pushing that would not be someone who you would want to put your faith in. Right. Um, but what I, what I've talked about and what I'm going to put a little bit more meat on, hopefully, um, in a, in a more academic, uh, article version of that 
um, is to talk about <clears throat> the idea of, well, we just have way too many people in the labor force as a percentage of the population compared to when wages were higher, right? So people talk about, oh, in the 50s, you know, you, you, know, you had a family and they had a car and they had a house and, you know, you were 25 years old and you could, you know, you could get married and have kids and have a normal life, right? Um, and, you know, potentially there's some rose-tinted glasses to some of that. Okay, fine. Um, but <clears throat> I think a higher minimum wage doesn't fix that problem. And what does fix that problem is some kind of a policy inducement to reduce the number of people in the workforce. And I think this is very um, consistent with uh, what Pope Leo XIII talks to us about in Rerum Novarum, what Pope John Paul II talks to us about in uh, Laborum Exocrines, is that you know, the, the wage is for a, a man to provide for his family, period, right? And that there's nothing wrong with a policy that pushes us that direction. Right? There's nothing wrong with a sort of pay the stay-at-home mom perspective if what it does is incentivize people to come out of the workforce. Um, and if you do that, if you can, you know, I guess from a sort of econ 101 perspective, if you can shift the supply curve of labor to the left, <laughs> what you'll get is fewer people in the workforce and higher wages. And so potentially over time, um, if you have that kind of policy in place, um, you can uh, you can hopefully push the culture a little bit right now. Obviously, um, you know there's a lot of culture that's built into this idea of you know we want to uh, you know uh, um, well we, you know, I've got to have income because you know who knows my husband's going to leave me or I'm going to have to leave him or you know I want to be independent and blah 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 right yeah um, but I think there's certainly it's certainly the case that you know policy in, uh, in, 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 a, in an economic sense has shifted, has, has contributed to that shift in the culture, right? And so we want to we turn that around. We want to turn the ship around on the economic policy, and hopefully that helps us improve the culture side. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of people, a lot of people will be a- anxious about sort of that type of thing, you know, uh, scared about uh, changing things in that direction especially, you know, women who see themselves sort of, if, if there are any women listening that see themselves as Catholic feminists or something like that, yes. you know, like uh, they're going to be the most resistant to, resistant to the idea of that. And, you know, um, but that's, you know, that's clear that you can't, or the goal is not for women to work. That cannot be the goal. That can, cannot be a goal for women to work while they're working they sh- you know majority of women if they're eventually going to get married should not be um building a career right well so i mean there's there's a lot of work to be done in the sense that um there's there's a lot of work to be done in the home right taking care mm-hmm. of children there's a lot of work to be done in the broader community right with women um you know working together to uh, you know, help shift the culture towards Catholicism, right? To, you know, doing outreach efforts to, um, to save souls, right? There's a lot of, there is a lot of work to be done. And if they're all out making PowerPoints for, you know, some global corporation, well, you know, that takes up a lot of time. That takes up a lot of energy. And I don't it, know why anyone wants to do that anyways. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's such a bonkers thing 
you know, I, I've heard this sort of phrase. It's like, you know, women wanted to leave the home because they didn't want to be under the thumb of their husband or whatever. And so they go off to work so they can be under the thumb of their boss. Yep. It's yep. like, you're just changing who you're under the thumb of, you know, yeah. other than a small, small, small percentage of the population who work for themselves, you know, entirely, yeah. even then you're, you know, you get bossed around by the economy. You get bossed around by. Yep. Even if you're the CEO of the company, right? Yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> there's someone bossing you around. Yep. Eventually God is bossing you there around. You go. You're, there's nobody yeah. truly independent in that sense of the of the you know phrase it's all just a lie induced right. to get uh anybody to change their habits yeah and you and you have even you know social science sort of empirically contributing to this stuff right it's like as as the the sort of feminist dream has been uh you know progressively uh, uh recognized and 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 implemented you know measures of women's happiness to continue to go down <laughs> right and yeah. so it's like gosh maybe there was some wisdom back there with uh you know pope leo the 13th i don't know <laughs> yeah it reminds me of scandinavia having the greatest happiness yet the most suicides it's like yeah they're, they're very happy yet they're killing themselves right <laughs> like okay cool. whatever you yeah say. that doesn't make any sense at all does it how, how are you measuring happiness yeah right apparently uh -huh. something wrong with your measure there yeah, exactly. But you you brought up uh, you brought up Hungary, and mm -hmm. Poland is usually lumped in with Hungary. Are those two countries sort of the uh, sort of countries to look towards for Catholic social teaching? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think there's a lot of success there that we can point to um, in in many ways, and and really also I think talking about interactions in policy. Um, so there's in, in the most recent, um, <clears throat> you know, before we kind of paused the magazine, um, there was actually a, a Polish gentleman who reached out and submitted an article talking about some of the success of Poland's, um, policies, uh, in terms of, you know, sort of pro-family, what a pro-family policy agenda, uh, can look like. And so that would be a great one for folks to, to read, you know, your audience, if they want to look at that, um, so, um, yeah, I think one of the interesting things, I guess maybe we'll just jump into this uh, because we have to, um, but um, this whole idea of um, immigration and how that fits into these policies, right? Because the more generous of a welfare state that you have, and again, I'm, you know, per se, I don't have a problem with welfare states, obviously, right? Um, given what I've talked about, the more generous of a welfare state you have, the more careful you have to be about um, you know, uh, financial waste and, and problems with that. And one of the things that I think Poland and Hungary have done well is they have, uh, much to the consternation of the, you know, globalist liberals in France and Germany, um, they have been able to uh, effectively limit their, their immigration to a large extent, um, such that these policies can be effective, right? Um, you know, people, um, you know, you've heard of the term, uh, this uh, Dunbar's number. Have you heard of that? No. Yeah. So it's a, it's a concept in psychology that like we can only have, and I think it's maybe the number is like 150. It's like you can only have so many sort of associations in your head at once, right? You can only, you're only, um, 
you know, we're, we're sort of limited in, in the way we can uh, uh, maintain relationships with other people, right? And so that's sort of an argument, I think, for smaller political units or political units that are, um, you know, that see themselves as um, uh, bound together in some way, right? And so you have um, countries where, <laughs> where there are people who are, you have a very generous welfare state and a very high tax rate in some sense um, that, that provides for that, um, that welfare state. But those people are happy with that because they have a feeling that the people that they are helping are, in some sense, a community, right, with them. And inevitably, I think when you have a, a very large, a very high rate of migration, you lose that sense of sort of togetherness, that authentic community, right? Um, and so because I think, I think it's, it's, there's, there's no, it's no surprise that um, countries like Poland and Hungary that have limited their immigration to a large extent have also been successful at um, implementing pro-family policies that make sense because they have, you know, <clears throat> for there to be an in-group, there has to be an out-group, right? I mean, it's just, that's just the way the world works, you know, and um as much as you might have lefties or whatever that decry this sort of thing, well, they're they're not honest about it because there very much is an outgroup and it's just whoever they've decided to, you know, crush using their political power, right? Um, and so it's just, you know, Hungary for Hungarians, right? Poland for the Polish people, right? So, you know, it makes sense. You know, a nation is a real thing. Groups of people have interests and have uh, preferences that line up and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And, and the more you, um, you know, sort of uh, dilute that authentic community, um, either by stretching your borders uh, to be very, very large, like the U.S., right? Uh, we sort of have that problem built in um, because there's just a lot of people here <laughs> um, or by, you know, letting 10 other communities push into your boundaries. Well, now you have a problem because you've got 10 people who are, you know, uh, nepotistic and, and, you know, very much, you know, going to be serving their own people, you're going to have a challenge there. Yeah. Makes sense. And, and I should say, there's nothing racist or whatever about that, right? It's just, that's how people are. People, you know, group. people are, yeah, people yeah. are going to have in-group preferences, right? I mean, like this, yeah. there's a lot of social science on this, right? In-group preference is a, is a very common, normal thing for most people to have. Yeah, just the, the leftist mentality is sort of like they say that they want to break that, but they're not really trying to break that. They're just trying to either use it to their own advantage yes. or uh, manipulate it. Absolutely. It, they're not really trying to destroy biases because if they were, they well it's impossible basically right, but right. they would have to they would have to make everyone the same to do that that, that right. it's not it's psychologically yeah. impossible to right. make and they very much have in-group preference it's just oh yeah for them it's totally political and totally class-based yeah that is their in-group preference it and actually they have 
depending on the group, they might preference themselves and it might be race or yeah, gender. For sure. You know, it's not uh, entirely, you know, or sort of they'd like you to believe that they don't preference anybody, but they, you know, depending on the group, they have their different preferences. And that's sort of yeah. uh, what uh, different activist groups have Definitely. their own group preference. I mean, that's mm -hmm. why they exist because yeah. they have a preference towards their group and they're going, and even whatever they're pushing at the time, a lot of LGBT, um, you know, activist groups push whatever the new thing is. And usually at right. the expense of the other groups who they're supposed to supposedly representing. Right. Um, so it's just, you know, it's whatever is useful at the time. That's perpetual revolution, right? Yes. It's the Marxist mentality that, you know, uh, can't go away because they tried the revolution and it just ended up in everyone killing each other. Right. Uh, yeah, right. And, you know, and starvation and, you know, the Soviet Union and that didn't work. So they don't really have they need to have something continuous. I mean, there is one thing I think maybe still some libertarians, you know, get right is that, you know, they're. They, they have to keep using other people's money, right. you know, from an economic perspective. Right. So that other people's money can't go away. Otherwise, right. they're toast. Yeah. And they learned that because in communism, you run out of people's money. So yeah. they can't be communists. So they have to be something in the middle so they can right. keep getting people's money without killing them. Right. And there's this idea of the, the Overton window shifting, right? You've got to yeah. constantly be... You know, you got to have a group that's maintaining the status quo and yet another group that's pushing for the constant movement of the status quo, right? Yeah, and also yeah. just not to mention canceling kind of is its own version of their attempt at killing people without killing them. Right. You know, yeah. Getting rid of them out of uh, society, but yeah. not, um, you know, but their money still exists and we can still take that money. So that's right. okay. Yeah, and it, I... You know, just personally, you know, here in I live in Kansas and, you know, Kansas is not normally, uh, you know, politically relevant, uh, at least when it's at least when it comes to national politics. But Kansas is not a Bible Belt state. Right. This is not Alabama. Um, this is a Midwest state. And there's a lot of, you know, left wing politics in the state, very much like you would see in, you know, North Dakota or Wisconsin or Ohio or something like that. Um, and right now. You know, we have um, we're dealing with abortion stuff and um, there's this idea of this or there's this um, amendment that's on uh, the ballot. Uh, and they were smart and got it on the uh, the uh, August 2nd primary ballot instead of on the the, the, the general when he got more oh. people voting. Um, but what we're trying to do is limit or, or is reinstate limits on abortion in our state because um, our state Supreme Court somehow found that's their term, found a right to abortion in our state constitution in 2019. And um, you have the ACLU, you have corporations, you have all these groups that are um, lying to people, in my own opinion, uh, telling them vote no to stop the ban on abortion, right? Well, unfortunately, it's not a ban. Um, all it does is just allow the legislature to regulate because right now, as it is, wow. any any abortion restriction or rule or limit that would be challenged would be successfully challenged based on 
that precedent. And so what we're trying to do is change the constitution so that the legislature can. Now, is the legislature going to seek to ban abortion? Yes, absolutely. Um, will they successfully do that? I don't know, right? I mean, right now we have a Democrat governor for Pete's sake. Um, you know, a lot of good stuff has not gone through because of her. So, um, you know, like I said, it's this is not as red of a state as people think it is. Um, presidential election, Senate election, you know, for the for the federal, yeah. Statewide politics, no. And I've heard um, we've got Planned Parenthood is breaking ground in Wichita and Kansas City um, in anticipation of this thing not going through. And so uh, we don't want to become a, an abortion destination for the Midwest, right? So we're yeah. really hoping that um, we can get this, you know, and again, I think part of the problem is nobody, you know, nobody ever talks about Kansas, you know, when we're talking about political stuff, but man, we important right now, you know, we could use all the prayers we can get. Yeah. Um, so it's, so is it good? Would you say that it's on the primary ballot or is it bad? That it's I think it was a calculated decision because, you know, there's a lot more Republicans like registered Republicans in the state than there are okay. registered Democrats. And because we have a partisan primary system, right? So if you're registered as an independent, you can't yeah. vote in the primary. Okay. Like normally, right? You can vote for ballot measures and, you know, um, you know, who's going to be a judge if they have that kind of stuff on there, mm -hmm. but you can't vote for either party's primaries, right? Um, and so you have fewer independents voting. And so I think it was a calculated decision to try to, you know, ensure that it gets through because you're just going to like have a massive red wave year. You're going to have a bunch of Republicans coming out to vote, um, you know, especially in the Kansas City area. Like right now, our representative, one of our representatives to the federal level um, in Congress is a Democrat. And there's a big push to get her out. And the way we do that is, you know, in the primary, we get the right person um, elected in the primary. And then, you know, um, uh, hopefully that person um, beats the Democrat we have um, in the House, right? Um, and so, and again, this is not the Institute saying this, this is me saying this um, as a Kansas resident, but um, <clears throat> so that's, I think that's the, that was the calculus is like, if we don't put it on, if we don't put it on the, you know, because we're going to have people, you know, trying to keep the, the Democrat governor in during the general and all that sort of thing. Um, so that was why they tried to put it on or they, they, they got it put on a primary. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Make sure you be, start praying for Kansas elections, everyone. Um, yeah, I please. Will, I will keep uh, the, the um, so I guess is, so what's the, is it a men, it's an amendment. Yeah. It's called the value them both amendment. If you go to like value them both.org um, there's a lot of information. And the funny thing is, you know, I've, I've looked at um, the opposition there, the name of their campaign, right? See, this is like left-wing politics in red States. Um, it's called Kansans for constitutional freedom, you know, and that sounds like a, you know, it sounds like a gun group or something, right? No, it's, it's the people that are trying to, you know, get as many babies murdered as possible. Um, and yeah. they just, you know, and, and the funny thing is like, you go to their website, there's no contact information at all. Like you can write them a note and they will get back to you, but there's no addresses. There's no phone numbers. There's no nothing on their website. Now on the value them both website, you know, we've got headquarters in six different cities across the state. We've got phone numbers for all of them. You know, we've got all these different ways you can get in contact. Um, you know, very transparent. The uh, the baby killing side, not so transparent. Nice. And they, we just had a really high profile um, 
they attacked one of our parishes in Kansas City. Oh wow! Um, in suburban Kansas City, yeah, and they they spray painted all over the place, and they put a bunch of red paint on a statue of Mary, and um, yeah, it was brutal. And the knights are watching. I mean, they there's literally a night watch every night, all night long, of the Knights of Columbus you know watching the and and they were there and they ran them off and i mean who knows what they would have done if they hadn't got him away fat you know with yeah. you know with what they got but a night's night watch yeah yeah right you gotta yeah. you gotta have them these days man they they will unapologetically do whatever they whatever they want to to de- try to demoralize you yeah unless you're in pathetic states like illinois uh oh really they're just there's nothing else to do you know oh, okay. it's, you know at illinois you don't you know uh there's nobody contesting really mm. the elite the, the the establishment so mm. is there really anything they're gonna do to anybody they they've won they don't have anything else right. to do. right you know, they don't see the, the need to fight anymore yeah it's like Ugh. they don't have anything to attack because nothing is a symbol of attacking i mean the the basically the leader of the uh of the catholic church in illinois is soupage is the mm. cardinal soupage so i you know see if you're thinking if you're if you're a left-wing activist and you're thinking who's in charge of the catholic church in illinois you're going to be thinking of soupage and i don't know if that makes uh, brings anger to any left-wing activists i see i'm not saying i mean there are definitely there i think there have been a, a number of suburban churches that have burned down over the years but um very sad yeah but you know there's not i don't think there's as much politically motivated um you know sort of attacks but i could be wrong i if, right. you know there are you know somebody uh, send me them on twitter you know um, i know in just politically in, a, in illinois you have some republican representatives I'm not yeah, sure about your senators but you have like a few federal representatives that are republicans yeah, and especially just, probably from like Southern Illinois, right? Yeah, but that you know what what activists live in Southern Illinois, so right. yeah, it's all it's, Chicago and yeah, right. Yeah, so it's there's just not much uh, mm. much going on there. Uh, well, I've been very impressed with our Archbishop. So I'm I'm in the Kansas City di- our Archdiocese, mm-hmm. and uh, Archbishop Nauman, um, he's just a giant of a guy. He's like he's really what you want for a bishop. He's this huge guy. Like he's got a duck to get. You know, he's wearing his miter. He's got a duck to get through doorways. <laughs> you know, he's just this enormous guy, right? Uh, and uh, but very gentle and and very kind guy. But he he's um he's really big on the pro life side of things. And he um, I remember when um. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's bishop banned her from communion. He wrote a letter and in, in support of that to the to the press, you know, and he was very congratulatory. So, like, uh, you know, all right, we got yeah. we got a great guy here. So, yeah. Well, is there anything uh, you want to say anything about the Leonine Institute uh, before we yeah. go? Yeah. So um, we we really want to be um, uh, active um, on this whole fight against. Um, you know, debt that just absolutely grinds people down. And, um, you know, if you're concerned about usury, uh, which is a sin that cries out to God for, for vengeance, right? Cry, cries out to heaven for vengeance. Uh, if you're concerned about people um, and you have the means to even, even to give a small amount, um, we've got, um, we've got, we, we've paid out some, some money to one person who was very grateful, basically saved the guy's house. You know, he was, he was going to lose his house and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, there's a lot of people in really desperate situations and 
um, you know, we want to be a resource for those people. And if you can help us, uh, whether it's through prayer and, and stuff like that, you know, we very happy with that. Um, if it's through um, getting the word out, um, I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to have some really beautiful trifo trifold brochures here pretty soon. And what I want to do is, um, you know, if you're interested in helping us out, if you'll, if you'll take some of those brochures and put them in the narthex of your parish, um, if you'll, uh, you know, put, you know, put an announcement in your, in your parish bulletin about um, uh, so we're going to, we're going to have some language for you um, that's going to help you, uh, you know, if you can just ask your parish secretary to paste that in there, um, just helping us get the word out is really going to be helpful. Um, you know, and if, if you can spare five, $10 a month or something like that, or if you, uh, if you're, you know, very well healed and you can, um, you know, give, give more than that, that'd be great. And we really appreciate it. If you have, if you know, people who are um, in really, you know, a really tough situation and you want to refer them to our website, leoinstitute.org slash jubilee, um, you know, we certainly welcome that. Um, I've got a couple people that have um, written recently um, that we're, you know, going through the process with and, and, uh, and all of that. So um, if you want some of those brochures, please write to me. Um, it's lrussell at leoinstitute.org. Um, and like I said, we're going to be, we're going to be doing this. We're going to have sort of a partnership program thing where we try to get people to, you know, stay in regular contact with you and, 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 you know, maybe you're going to be a point of contact for us to try to, you know, get the, get the, get the word out there for us. So, um, and then also if you're, if you're interested in any of our, you know, educational materials, if you want to check out um, our policy papers or the, the previous issues of the magazine, if you're interested in writing for the magazine, uh, please hit me up. If you just, you want to be on the list of people that I talk to, you know, when there's an issue coming up, you know, and whatever the topic is, I'll, I'll send you an email and say, hey, don't forget us, right? Uh, if you'd like to talk about this topic, you know, please, uh, please consider submitting something. So, uh, so yeah, that, that'd be great. Thank, and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Connor. I really appreciate it. No problem. It was, uh, it was, very awesome talking to you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. We've Great. talked yeah. about a lot of different topics and they're all very, all very good ones. Um, but yeah, so do you have any, um, anything else to plug anything else? Maybe, uh, oh. uh, you specific. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if you're, uh, if you're thinking about going to college and you, you want to go to a, you want to go to a school where you can have a Catholic economics professor, <laughs> you know, you could go to the <laughs> university of Kansas, I suppose. Um, uh, gosh, I, I really don't have anything else. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, the, the time that I spend uh, doing other stuff is, is really trying to promote the Institute. And, um, you know, outside of that, I'm just, I'm just teaching classes and, um, and doing those normal things. So, uh, you know, latch onto the Institute. If you got something that you want to contribute to us, or if you want to help us out, you want to, you want to be part of the, of the efforts that we're putting in place, man, I, I, from the bottom of my heart, I really would appreciate it. Um, cause we're, we're just, we're trying to do, you know, we're trying to have some, some good Catholic action. That's what we're trying to do. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to, uh, um, promote you guys as much as possible. That's awesome. You Thank know, you so much. If you want to come on again in the future? Yeah, uh, I'd yeah. love to have you again. Um, Sure. So I will have all the all that stuff linked in the description. Um, I'll have your email um, right. in the description. Uh, if you could send me that stuff, that'd be great. Yeah, um, of course. So um, thank you again, Dr. Russell, yeah. for coming on. Um, thank you. So everyone, please like, share, comment, and subscribe, and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Bye.